If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Let's see if I could do this in 15 minutes. Who laughed? I just heard two people laugh. You did? <laughs> April laughed. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. As we continue through the gospel of Mark in our series of Jesus being king, this is just a simple story some of you have probably heard before. It's just about childlike faith. And I'd love to end this portion of our time together on this. And I'll start reading in verse 13. It says, And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. What we open up with in this story looks like a, what I want to call a battle at the margins. Everyone else in this picture, everyone else in this particular society is having a battle in cultural centers of power. There's battles in the halls of religious authority. There's battles in Rome. There's battles in uh, popular places. This is a battle happening in the margins. It happens with a couple kids. A couple, couple sermons ago, I brought up a text where Jesus was saying, if you cause any of these little ones to stumble, uh, it's not going to end up good for you. And I remember explaining, you might remember me explaining, uh, he's not speaking literally about children when he says little ones. He's speaking about people in their faith, most likely the person he was just referring to who was trying to cast out a demon and uh, the disciples were hounding that person. He was like, don't, don't, don't stumble people like that. But in this verse, he's literally talking about children, young, physical children. And these are children that are reaching out to touch Jesus. I, I, just, want you, I just want you to imagine the scene. They didn't have live feeds. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have any tech. There was no way to be exposed to Jesus other than that one moment in your life when he walks through your town. And all of a sudden, as Jesus walks through town, a mob of children come around him. And I don't know, I don't know who brought them. Maybe it was some parents who were like, you guys, Roger, let's get out of bed right now. You don't understand. Jesus is walking through town. Or maybe it was a, a homeless kid who just caught wind of a kind rabbi who was walking through the streets. Whatever it was, they were coming towards Jesus. This is their only chance to get a touch from God. And they're running for him. 2,000 years later, people are still running for a touch from God. Still hurting, still lonely, still socially isolated, still needing one encounter with the Lord that'll change their lives forever. Maybe that's you. And it's at this moment that the disciples rebuke the children. (laughs) Mark is absolutely specific. The disciples were the ones stepping out and rebuking them. 
Up until this point, have you noticed, it's been people we would normally classify as the enemy. The Pharisees getting in Jesus' face, saying, what are you all about? At, later on, it'll be Roman, uh, the Roman Imperial Guard. It's been demons. It's been people we expect opposition to come from, saying, back off. It's at this point that it's from the inside. It's the disciples stiff-arming children and saying, ah, you stop right there. This is maybe one of the most devastating parts of trying to follow Jesus is sometimes our biggest hindrances come from the inside. Sometimes hindrances come from each other. When we're not the best version of ourselves and we react. Sometimes hindrances come from deep within, from ourselves. Sometimes that escalates and happens on a wide scale in the middle of a church. Sometimes a church climate can be so charged with political energy that people who used to sit on the other end of the table from one another breaking bread are now sworn enemies because of varying political allegiances. Sometimes the hardest thing about following Jesus happens from the inside. And it should perhaps break our hearts that it's the disciples, it's good old Peter, who's the one pushing children away from Jesus. And you have to understand that this isn't the first time Jesus has taught them about this kind of stuff. In verse 33 through 37, even after his teaching on children, uh, if you were here, you remember Pastor Stephen bringing that teaching, the, uh, teaching the pathway of greatness, where he teaches about the heart of a child and the heart of servanthood. It was in verse 38 and 31 where Jesus trains them and teaches them about outsiders, saying, if they're not against you, they're for you. And the disciples continue to be formed by these societal standards of power and greed rather than by Jesus. And this is a problem, right? It was a problem then. It's a problem today. Christians are more discipled by Rome than they are Jesus Christ. They're more discipled by cultural places and positions of power than by Jesus. More discipled by Santa Barbara than they are by Jesus. And yet Jesus in his kindness and relentless love continues to walk by stubborn people like Peter, stubborn people like me, and maybe a couple of, of you to remind them, brothers and sisters, the kingdom belongs on the margins. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, verse 14, and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belong, to such belongs the kingdom of God. I love the emotion in this. This isn't the first time that Jesus has rebuked someone or said something unpleasant. This is the first time I believe we see some unpleasant emotion bubbling out of his heart. Indignant. That means to, it, it, it has this picture of Jesus venting rather than brooding. He's, he, he lost it. 
This is almost akin to that moment where he kicked over the tables in the temple, but instead of the, instead of the, the, the greedy uh, elite, elitists in the building, this is like, this is his disciples. He, he's, he's angry, he's venting on them. How dare you? His solution to them is let them come to me. Get out of their way. Let them come up to me. I want to talk to them. I want to touch them. I want to laugh with them. And the reason, this is what I want all of our attention to focus on. The reason is, look at this in verse 14, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. If I could paraphrase that and uh, maybe a sentence we might be able to latch on to, he's saying, for of this sort belongs my kingdom. In other words, there is something about a kid you're going to need to have to understand. There's something about a child you're going to need to wrap your heart around. The secret is right here in this kid that you keep kicking away. In other words, it's not the Pharisees who sit in religious halls of power arguing about who's right and who's wrong. It wasn't the Sadducees who think they need to get in bed with Rome and the empire. It wasn't the Essenes whose biggest spiritual success was secluding themselves from the rest of the world so they wouldn't get dirty. Amidst all of the popular ways for religious people to associate themselves with the world and with God, Jesus pierces through that noise and he says, it's this kid. It's a kid. There's something in a kid you have to see. Now, I want to pause right here just to, to point out our series is called Jesus is King. And this is one of those moments where Jesus unashamedly correlates the kingdom of God with himself. He's reminding you, I'm the king. He's associating with himself. He's, he's saying, he's telling you how you get in. And he does this, right? He did this in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. He said, if by the finger of God, it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons. If it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, you'll know the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then later on, he goes out, gone to cast out a demon. Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15, when we first started this text. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's why this entire book is called The Gospel According to Mark. What's it about? Well, in this book, everything from his life and his words and his actions, the first half of Mark, to his death and his resurrection and ascension, the last half of Mark, is all about what the kingdom of God is like. And in this little section of Mark, this little verse, Jesus unequivocally tells us what sort of person will get along just fine in that kingdom. Paideia, a child. And in this, he gives us, and this is my last verse, a pattern for us all. Verse 15 and 16, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. How do you receive the kingdom of God like a child? I think it's important to notice that Jesus isn't romanticizing childhood. He's not saying you gotta be cute, <laughs> innocent. Anyone in here ever have a kid? You know they're not that innocent. He's not, he's not elevating children in that way, saying, Act like children, be like children. Everything that children do is cute and harmless and awesome. 
he's referring to the way that they receive something, which is frankly pretty naive and at times silly and just super open. They're not being commended for their virtue. Even the way he uses the term child, paideia is diminutive. He's referring to their receiving of something without any claim on the gift whatsoever. You ever seen a kid, second grade, first grade, fifth grade, first, you know, one years old? They can't, they're just helpless. And in their helplessness, when you offer them something good, they just take it. They don't ask you questions. They don't interrogate you. They don't interview you. They don't think about the long-term ramifications. You hand them a popsicle, bam, just grab it. This is, this is what I think Jesus is telling us. There, there's, there's a, these are literally young kids, but I would also say that with that youth is a, a youth at heart. They're young at heart. Naturally, because they're children, but they're young at heart enough to believe that Jesus is good to them. And without any questions or barriers, they just rush for him. And it's that there that Jesus is telling his adultest disciples, don't lose that sense of, of gentle naivety. Don't lose the wonder of that trust. He's reminding us, you also must receive the gift of God with empty hands, just like when my kids walk up to me and ask for anything. They don't know how much, how much I work to get that dinner on the table, and they don't care. They're just stuffing their face. When I take them to do something fun, they don't ask about all of those details. They don't wallow in shame and guilt, like, nah, I probably don't deserve that. <laughs> no way! They're like, take me there, Dad! And with empty hands, when mom and dad give Abby or Jude something good, their face lights up and they grab it with almost a pure, young at heart assumption that it belongs to them. Why? Because dad gave it to them. Likewise, we bring nothing to God sometimes but a mess. And yet God brings good news of great joy. We bring him our challenges, sometimes not even knowing the full extent of what we're challenged with, and yet he gladly displays his power. We brought him our sin. He overwhelms us with grace. We bring him our shame. He brings us his love. We bring, at times, like a kid, a little ounce of deception. He still brings to us the truth. When we get older, we go from kid to adult, sometimes we swim in the realm of corruption. He brings justice and wholeness. We bring sickness, and yet by his stripes we have been healed. When we're empty-handed, he brings to us the righteousness of God. When we're far from God, he gives us the fullness of God. When we can't see God, he is the image of the invisible God. When we feel stupid, he contains all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we bring our baggage, he brings unconditional friendship. And here again is Jesus telling Peter and the rest of the disciples in reality, Santa Barbara, be like a kid again. Not physically, certainly not emotionally, but spiritually. With open hands, receive the gift of God's kingdom. Grab it. Don't ask so many questions, just grab it. See, when you're hurting, Jesus is your comfort. 
When you're weak, Jesus renews your strength. When you're disillusioned, Jesus offers hope. When you're sorrowful, Jesus is inexpressible joy. When you're anxious, Jesus is the peace that surpasses understanding. When you're lacking, Jesus is your shepherd you shall not want. When you're tired, Jesus renews your inner being day by day. When you wrestle with doubt, Jesus dwells in your heart through faith. When you struggle with doubt, he is the author and perfecter of your faith. When you're alone, he is with you even until the end of the age. When you're broken, he restores you. When you're empty, he fills you up. When you feel like a failure, he presents you blameless before the Father in great joy. When you're falling apart, he can hold you together by the word of his power. And even when you're dead, Jesus can raise you up and seat you with him in heavenly places. He ain't done with you, Christian. Wherever you find your spirituality at this chapter and journey in your life today, I don't always know what those details might be. I know some of them. I don't know, but he knows, and he's not done with you, Christian. He's just getting started in you and in us. And you might today only see your flaws and disappointments and letdowns and discouragements and trials. But God calls you a work in progress. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the way we tap into all of that is the same way that a child receives a free gift that they never expected. They just take it. Sometimes our attachments keep us from a childlike faith in Jesus. We, we become adults. We started as kids spiritually and then we become adults. And with that come good things. We learn more, we do more. We get more mature, we develop gifts, we lose something along the way and we gain some things along the way too. We gain our attachments to things. With those attachments become, uh, come fear. We're afraid of losing things. And somewhere along the way, we miss that childlike faith that used to stir us at the beginning. I'm gonna ask Joseph and the rest of the team, Robert and uh, Mandy to, uh, to prepare to lead us into response through song. But as we do, I want to end. If this is you, if you feel like you've, you've gotten lost in spiritual adulthood in the wrong kind, spiritual tiredness, confusion, been jaded, I wanna end with verse 16. It simply says Jesus took these kids in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Uh, the word blessed here, when Jesus used it, has this ongoing action in the past. It's not this one-time event. It's, it speaks of an ongoing effect of Jesus' life and his goodness in their lives. And I love how it just says that he, he just lays his hands on them. I never understood this until I remembered, you know, my grandma she passed away when I was eight and a half. Uh, she was Filipino, Alaskan native. She was about this tall and had a backhand that told stories. I never knew about that backhand because I was a spoiled kid in the family. That's what my sisters tell me. 
And when the family would walk into the room, she, the matriarch of the family, would cruise around like this with a calm attitude until I walked into the room. And all of her repose, all of her professionalism fell to the wayside as she just said a bunch of words in Tagalog that I still don't understand today. And she just would grab me by my face, literally grab me by my cheeks and say, Oh, look at your face. I want to squeeze you. She would shake me and squeeze me and hug me and give me candy and soup and rice and all of this stuff until I was sick. And then she'd send me back to my parents. And I never understood that. I would like, like squirm. Like, what are you touching my face for? Till I had a son. <laughs> and now I'm that weird guy. My son, like, I find myself when he comes home from school or from soccer or whatever it is, like, like words aren't enough for, for me to, like, express. Jude, I love you. I love you, dude. I, it's, like, not enough. It's, like, not strong enough. And so I find myself, like, Nana, my grandma, cupping his face in my hands and squeezing his face and saying, I love you. Damn, let go. And when I see this passage of Jesus touching people who are empty and hurting and lonely, I remember the love of the Father who desperately and continuously wants to touch his children in that same way. I want to invite you to surrender any defense mechanisms that you are hanging on to. It could be anything, something you're attached to that's keeping you from approaching God in full transparency and honesty. It might be a label that you don't want to get rid of. It might be an opportunity that you don't want to lose. It might be money or time or energy. It might be your possessions. It might be the desired outcome of a situation that you want to control. And maybe God is inviting you to let it go and just be a child in his arms again. I want you to bring that before him as we sing today. And as you surrender your defense mechanisms to Christ and each other, maybe in prayer to one of the prayer teams to sides of the building, may you experience the ongoing touch and blessing and goodness of Jesus in your life and in this church as we worship. There's carpets at the front. There's communion to the sides and outside. There's space in the building if you want to meander, carve out a place to minister with the Lord. Let's spend the next few minutes and the next few songs we have in his presence today.